the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today studying God's Word. And we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. God has demonstrated that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, the Son of Man, is clearly God. So then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? I'm sure for some of them it was a legitimate question, and I'm sure some of them didn't mean it the way it sounded, but the text indicates that there was a lack of understanding. They wanted God on their own terms. They had lost the teaching. You know, the law was to remind them that they needed a Savior. And if you're willing to sacrifice a, an ox or a bullock, that'd be like sacrificing a, an Escalade today. If you're willing to give up anything to be right with God, you're demonstrating outwardly your inward faith. They had replaced salvation by faith with the sacrificial system and completely misinterpreted and upended the teaching of the Mosaic law. And they wanted to know what they had to do to be good enough to be pleasing to God. And Jesus' statement was to warn them. In fact, he'll say to them, this is the work of God that you believe. But here's what it is. When people want God on their own terms, they're not going to listen to that. Until God has broken their heart, until the Spirit has opened their eyes, they're almost bulletproof to the gospel. And you see throughout when Jesus encountered the Pharisees or whoever he encountered, when they heard the message they didn't want to hear, they were just irrational. They didn't shout back at him with a megaphone. They didn't burn anything. They just threatened to kill him. Where do you see that? John eight thirty one to 34. Here Jesus is speaking to people who have seen him do incredible things and are claiming to be his followers. And in John eight thirty one to eight thirty four, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, not believed on him, but believed what he said about himself. There's a difference between surrender and mental assent. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly, you are legitimately disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Look at their answer. Look at their answer. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Is that true? How long did they spend in Egypt? But think about it. How many times do you talk to people and they're just crazy? They're unreasonable. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How do you say we will become free? How can you say that I can go to heaven if I trust Christ when I believe in X, Y, and Z? And all good dogs go to heaven or something like that. Jesus answered them and said, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. There's never been a person born in this world who hasn't been enslaved to sin. They don't want to hear that. The culture doesn't want to hear that because we always say, well, I'm not as bad as the next guy. You need to understand this as you share the gospel, as you explain your faith to people, that the reason it's not you they're mad at. They may shoot the messenger. They may shove the messenger. They may cut the messenger off. But their issue 
is with the message because they're seeking God for the wrong reasons, not as sinners in need of mercy, and because they, because they want God on their own terms. And that's what you see here. We want to do the works of God. Look at John six twenty nine and 30 here. When, when he answers them, I want you to see the irrationality. I want you to see the, the visceral, knee-jerk, shout-in-his-face response that we see today all over the country. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Now, I want you to look what they say to him here. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work, what miracle will you perform? Well, let's kind of put this in perspective. Water into wine. They know that he got across the lake, but they're not sure how. He's healed the paralytic who's been immobilized for over three decades, three and a half decades. He's just fed the 5,000. And these people were witness a few loaves and a few pieces of bread. And he explains to them, it's not what you do, it's what God does. You, it's the work of God that you believe. Put your faith in him. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't inherit it from your mommy or your daddy. You can't, you can't marry into it. It's not because you're a Jew, because Gentiles will be saved. This is the work of God that you believe. And they're saying, yeah, why should we listen to you? What have you done? What miraculous sign have you performed as the Messiah that would give any indication that we should listen to you? And you're thinking, what planet are they on? You know, I don't believe that all people are bad. I think all people are good. Look at the world around you. Well, I'm not a sinner. I've never done anything wrong. Well, you just told a lie. You know, ever cheat on an expense account? Ever inflate your mileage? Ever call in sick? When you weren't sick, you shall not steal. That makes you a thief. You know, all of us are bad. I'm bad. I could give you a list of things that that makes me bad. And this is the grace of God that any of us can be saved. He's just told them that their faith is a work of God. On them and on their behalf. That God will make them righteous. That God will give them to Jesus. Some of them anyway. And this is not what they want to hear. What must we do to be doing the works of God? This is the work of God that you believe. Most will not listen. Which brings us to our third conclusion, really. Our third conclusion is this. Most don't want to hear the truth. They'll pay lip service to it. They may engage from time to time for entertainment purposes or to prove that you're wrong or to prove that you're a homophobe or a bigot or something like that. But the bottom line is they really don't want to know. I had a a guy I worked with in a hotel in North Carolina, and he had had colon cancer, and they had taken out four or five pounds of intestine. I don't know how much or how long that is. But it was traumatic. And I can believe that. A few years later, he started feeling bad again in that neck of the woods. And he would not go to the doctor because he didn't want to find out that he was sick. So he'd rather let the disease rage on in his body than to find out he was sick because he feared the cure. A lot of people fear becoming Christians. Not going to have any fun anymore. Tell you what, since becoming a Christian, I have so much fun, it should be illegal. I tell you what, ask John. Where is he? No, anyway. (laughs) Poor guy, he's right outside my office. But the bottom line is... They want him for the wrong reasons. They want him for full belly or prosperity. They want him for whatever reason. They want him on their own terms, and you just can't have it on your own terms. And in an individualistic society where we give participation ribbons for almost everything, this just goes in the face of everything around us. Somebody says, I don't want to become a Christian. I don't want to hear the truth. I don't want to embrace the truth because I I don't want to be weird. We're normal. The rest of the world is without God. We were created for fellowship with God. God created mankind to be in fellowship with him, to be connected with him, to depend on him, to be protected by him, to be cared by him, to be loved by him. And when mankind broke away, that was abnormal. Look with me at John 6, 57 through 60. I'm just going to summarize a couple of things here they didn't want to hear. 
As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate, the manna in the desert, and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. When many of the disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Many people you describe your faith to, I want you to realize this, can't listen because it's hard to hear. The truth is hard to take sometimes. And, and recognize that sometimes they'll lock on to one illustration, one throwaway phrase that you use, one comment that you might have made somewhere in the discourse, and they're just going to focus on that because they don't want to know the truth. You know, they can disqualify you because of your grammar or your ethnicity or your height or your weight or whatever it is or your education, they will. And it's not because of something that you've done wrong. It's because they don't want to know the truth. And that's why salvation is a God thing. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Their reaction to whoever feeds on this bread, Jew or Gentile, I am the bread of life. Whoever feeds on me is tip. What, what happens here is this. They locked in on this whole thing. And he was using a, an extreme description, an extreme, a hyperbole. An exaggeration. He really wasn't saying, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He wasn't saying salvation through cannibalism. He was using a word picture. And think about it. You know, they didn't want to hear it. Just like the woman at the well. You know, living water that I can drink and never have to come back to this well again. Give me this water always. You see that in John 4, 13 through 15. Or when he says, destroy this temple. Destroy this temple. And I will raise it up in three days? Did they really think, honestly, that he was suggesting to tear down that temple right there? It's just, you guys destroy this, and I'll show you what I can do. Or when Nicodemus heard him say, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus latches on initially and goes, so you want me to get back into my mother's womb at my age? How does that work? That's what's going on here. Jesus is giving them like a rhetorical device to cause them to stop and think. And he's saying, it's all about me. It's all me. You can't have part of me. You got to have me as who I am. I'm not just your Messiah. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not just a healer. I'm your God and the only Savior there is. And eternal life is only in me. I am the... John six fifty one to 53, Jesus says, in the bread of life that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, crucifixion. The Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us this flesh to eat? And the bread of life that I give the world is my flesh. The Jews disputed, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. It's just like what he said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, can he enter a second time? It's not the point. Don't ignore everything that Jesus is saying in this whole... That's why we're doing all of John 6. Because people like to break it up and parse it and argue about what he meant. Oh, was this communion? Was this transubstantiation, consubstantiation? No. There wasn't communion yet. Hadn't been invented yet. This is a discourse on the deity of Christ on the exclusivity of Christ, on grace, on salvation as a gift, not a reward for something you do or something you purchase. And it didn't sit well with them because they really didn't want to hear that. They wanted a political solution to a spiritual problem. Here we are today. Uh, They wanted health, wealth, and prosperity. 
Here we are today. I'm reminded that the more things change, the more they remain the same. Some of you may remember the great philosopher and poet Warren Zavon. And I don't mean Werewolves of London. He wrote a song called Muhammad's Radio. I was listening to it in my car yesterday or day before yesterday. And I was reminded that we're in the same situation right this moment that we were in 1979 when the song came, you know. And this is it. Nothing ever changes. God is the same. Salvation is the same. And Jesus says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never wise cast out. If God has given you to his son as his bride, as the gift, right? The bride of Christ, you're eternally secure. You're not on probation based on the works you do. It keeps telling us through the passage that Jesus knew from the beginning who would believe and who wouldn't. How did he know that? Well, he's God, number one. Number two, he knows that no one's going to come to him on his own strength, on his own power. And that's the truth that sets them free. And it's the truth that sets you free in evangelism. John 6.39 says this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. They didn't like eternal security because it contradicted the probation that they perceived that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had taught them about law-keeping. It contradicted self-righteousness. Salvation by grace went against everything they thought that made them special. But God giving people to Jesus is a repetitive theme is a theme throughout the Gospel of John and the whole Bible. In fact, later on in John 17, 12, we read this. John 17, 12, the high priestly prayer right before his crucifixion. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Why was that? That the scripture might be fulfilled. There are no accidents in God's economy. He's sovereign. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance. It's just God working out his redemptive plan according to his will. Like he says in Isaiah, you know, I call out the end from the beginning. I proclaim the end from the beginning, and I will have my good pleasure. And that's why after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I mean, that, that's, they didn't want to hear this. They did not want to hear that you can't come to me unless the Father draws you, that it's the Spirit that gives life, and my word is Spirit, that you can't come to me unless it's been granted by the Father. John 6, 6, 6, 6. After this, after that statement in John 6, 65, his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Watch what happens next. Jesus says to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the twelve stay. And Peter says good things here, but there's a hint of self-righteousness there. Peter hints that, well, we understand what these poor schmoes did not understand. We're, we're special. We're special. We've committed ourselves to you. Watch what he says next in verse 70. Jesus answered them, the disciples, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son, son, son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve and was going to betray him, and he knew it. It's all Jesus. Salvation is all of grace. We can't take credit for anything. How many times have we memorized and recited Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 not thought about it? For by grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast, not of works. For we are his workmanship, prepared in Christ Jesus to do the works that he has called us to. It's a gift. We can't take credit for anything. Titus 3, 5, by his grace he has saved us. Not because of works of righteousness that we have done. So let's not be too hard on the 12 here. I remember wrestling with this. 
I didn't like the idea of the grace of God. And every time somebody threw a verse at me, it made me mad. I thought I had something to do with my salvation. I thought God looked down the corridors of time and saw that I was going to choose him. And then he chose me based on that. But that would be work salvation, wouldn't it? Acts 13.48, I think, really clarifies the grace of God for us all. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Some rejoice in the message of the gospel. That you can't earn it, that you can't buy it, that you can't deserve it. That it's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Some want to believe they have something to do with it, and they just don't want to hear otherwise. They wouldn't even listen to Jesus. John 6.63, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and truth. John 6.65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And that's why we read in John 6.66, after this, that many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him because it's not what they wanted to hear. So what are our takeaways? What do we do with this? Yes, people come to, or say they come to Christ for the wrong reasons. They They want God on their terms and they really don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to have a precise understanding of the way of salvation. They don't really want to know Christ. They want to know about him. They want to keep him at arm's length. They want to keep the gospel at arm's length. They want to be in a safe space. There are no safe spaces. So what do you personally do with this? What do you do with John chapter 6? Let me give you four ideas for application. Four ideas for application. Number one, realize that you have great freedom in your personal evangelism and outreach to others. Because it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It's not you. It's a work of God. You, you, know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's, part, that's not your job. That's God's job. Secondly, understand that your failure to win converts may have more to do with timing. No one can come to Christ unless they're being drawn. They call that effectual calling. When, you're, when the Holy Spirit is tugging on their heartstrings and you're giving them the, the information and the two come together, it's like putting... Uh, Fizzies in water or vinegar and bacon soda, you get, the fu- you, get the, you get the bubbles, right? The quickening of the heart. Three, recognize that while there may be failures on your part, God never fails. All that God gives to Jesus will come to him, and he will raise them up on the last day. John six thirty seven. And finally, you say, well, how does this... This isn't what I understood when I initially came to Christ. Same here. How does this change the way? How does this change the mission of the church? It doesn't. Reach out. As none of this changes our mission as Christ's followers, as a church. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which our whole vision of this church is based on. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Make learners. Give them the information when they're saved. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And as they grow, teaching them to do all that I've commanded you. That's our mission. It is unchanged. But there is great liberty in knowing that it's not about you. It's not about your turn of phrase, it's not about your education, it's not about your bank book, it's not about your ethnicity, your weight, your height, the color of your eyes, it's the work of God that they believe. It didn't sit well with the Jewish people, it may not sit well with all, everybody here today, but these are the facts, and in that, knowing the truth, the truth does indeed set you free, to share the gospel without fear, to share the gospel without worrying about what you're going to mess up. And to focus on the gospel. Jesus didn't care about full bellies. He didn't care about making them rich. He didn't care about politics. He cared about souls. And that's where we need to be. We must be willing to go wherever he leads us. Believing everything that he teaches us. And sharing it with the dying world. That's what you need to do as Christ followers. And if you're somebody who doesn't know Christ. If you haven't embraced Christ. If you haven't surrendered to Christ. 
What I've said today may offend you. Some of the things you may be hanging on to an illustration I used a moment ago, kind of like the Jews did with Jesus, so they didn't have to listen, because it's not what you wanted to hear. I hope not. I wouldn't want to offend anybody on purpose. Well, or at least by accident. Just kidding. But that's a joke, okay? Um, Here are three things I'd like you to think about if you don't know God. If you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't entrusted yourself, if you haven't surrendered your whole person, your rights to Christ, if you haven't recognized your need for a Savior and trusted Christ, here are three things I'd like you to think about. Number one, don't see Christ for any other reason than you know you need a Savior. Two, don't seek Christ on your own terms. Seek Him on His terms. If He's working in your life, surrender. Throw down your arms and surrender. Surrender your rights. He calls for unconditional surrender. He wants to treat you better than you deserve. He wants to forgive you, but you've got to accept His terms. He is the only Savior. It's painful to hear sometimes because if you're like me, I've got family who are trusting in other things. And finally, number three, believe rather than reject what you've heard today. All of us are sinners. We all needed Savior. Some of, this, some of us have salvation. Some of us will have salvation. And you can too if you believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've all been there, Lord. We have sought you for our own reasons and not yours. We have wanted a God that we could manage on our own terms. And we have resisted the truth when we've heard it. And yet in your patience and your kindness and your grace, by the Holy Spirit opening our eyes, you have numbered us among your children, Father. Not because of the flesh, as it says in John 1, 11, and 12, and 13. Not because of blood, bloodlines, relatives, relations. Not because of our, the will of man, but the will of God. Father, I pray today as we prepare for communion, as we think about how we explain you to other people, Lord, other people who may not want to hear, Lord, help us to put our confidence and our trust in you for the outcome. Help us to present the information lovingly, graciously, patiently, kindly, and humbly that they have nothing to give and that you offer forgiveness, that it's a gift that they have to receive and that if they push it away, you won't. They refuse, Lord. They refuse. And we know, Father, that some refuse now and repent later. Father, just help us to be confident in you and your word. Help us to conform ourselves to your word, to the image of your son. Help us to present our bodies day in and day out as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable minimum service of worship. To not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we read and interact with your scriptures and as they correct our thinking and change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.